Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We live in a world, uh, no shocker to anyone sitting here, that is sorely lacking in peace, right? Uh, I did a little bit of quick uh, study and found that uh, since 1900, there have been 267 wars in the world, actual wars, not, you know, skirmishes amongst tribes or groups, people groups or whatever. 64 million people died in the 20th century from war. 37 million of them were military, 27 million were civilians. And that's if you don't count genocide from despotic rulers who just start killing off their people. That would be another 41 million people. As John MacArthur says, with all the avowed and well-intentioned efforts for peace in modern times, Few would claim that the world, or any significant part of it, is more peaceful now than a hundred years ago. We do not have economic peace, religious peace, racial peace, social peace, family peace, or personal peace. There seems to be no end of marches, sit-ins, rallies, protests, demonstrations, and riots. Disagreement and conflict are the order of the day. No day, says John MacArthur, has more need of peace than our own. Isn't it interesting? I uh, watched uh, Star Trek when I was a kid, uh, back in the William Shatner Star Trek era. The premise of that was they had pretty much eradicated most every disease and there was peace everywhere. And we were going through the galaxies trying to find what? New worlds, new whatever, new peoples, new uh, people to uh, interact with. And there was always this great desire to make sure that everything was at peace. We don't have much of that, right? And it seems to be getting worse. Now, maybe it's just as we get older, we're more aware of what's going on. Or maybe it's really just difficult. Every time we turn around, somebody is at odds with somebody else. And into that world, which was not entirely peaceful either, right? When these Beatitudes were spoken by Jesus and were uh, written down for our benefit, the world was governed by Rome, and they called it the what was the Latin term? Pax something, Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which was not a peace because everybody was happy. It was a peace because you weren't allowed to get out of line, right? It was enforced peace. 
But into this culture, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, when we get around toward the end of this, I'm going to remind you that we want to be not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker, according to this thing. This is not talking about people who avoid conflict. This is not talking about people who try and keep anything from getting riled up at all. This is talking about people who actively go in and seek to make peace. So what could that refer to? Well, I think, I suspect, in the first place, the most important thing it can talk about, when you are a peacemaker, you are concerned about reconciliation between God and men. You want people to be at peace with God because that's the most important peace they can have. They cannot go on and hope to have peace amongst themselves if they are at odds with God, if they're an enemy with God, right? Romans 5.8 says we were enemies. God sent Jesus, right? So there is this sense of warfare, even if we're not alert to it, between us and God. Reconciliation between God and men has to do with, first of all, personal reconciliation. I have to be reconciled to God if I'm going to be someone who can help other people become reconciled to God, right? So we have to go through the gospel again, because maybe you're visiting or maybe you're watching online. We've been having 80 and 100 people watching us online most every week recently. So I want to make sure I talk to them occasionally too, right? Um, the gospel puts us at peace with God. So if we're enemies, we're going to figure out how to be at peace, which is the simple message of, I'm a sinner, that's what's made me an enemy of God. There are things in my life, both by nature and by action, that keep me separated from God, that make me his enemy because he is perfectly holy and cannot tolerate sin in heaven. So I have to turn from that, but I don't just turn around from my sin and try and do better, right? What do I do? I repent of my sin and I believe in the gospel because God knows, God is well aware that I can't do anything to fix the problem between me and him. So he fixed or made provision to fix the problem between me and him. So Jesus, God the Son, came down here and lived the perfect life, the one that I could never live no matter how hard I tried. And he died and paid the penalty for sin that I should have paid. And then on the third day, he came back to life again. That's the gospel. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died, paid for my sin, was buried, came back to life again, the gospel in a nutshell. So I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel and I trust, I receive Christ. I place my resting faith in him. And when that happens, the sin that I'm turning from, God considers it applied to Jesus when he died on the cross, and the righteousness that he lived perfectly gets applied to my account. That's a great deal, right? That's amazing. So I have to be reconciled to God before I can help others be reconciled to God. So then once I do that, what am I engaged in? Evangelism, right? We're scared of that term sometimes. I think we're a little afraid because we, we picture the people in the white shirts and ties with a name tag coming and knocking on the door, right? We don't want to, we don't want to be that person. We want to be a person who can 
help people see what their need is and help uh, warm their hearts and lead them to Jesus. That's what evangelism is. It doesn't have to be a specific thing. Evangelism is what I do as I relate to other people. I'm just seeking to help people. So here's, here's what Paul said about it in 2 Corinthians. All this, he's talking about all the blessings of salvation is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So that means Christ in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. So God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for sin and has entrusted to us the job of going to people, helping them to know how they can be reconciled to God. That's what we do. Sometimes, undoubtedly at some point in the conversation, it is, in fact, us explaining the gospel to them. But some of it is just helping them to see this is, look what God has done for me. Let me show you how this happens. I've heard evangelism described on one occasion as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It, we're, not, we're not in a better status because we're a follower of Christ, right? We, we are children of God. We are followers of Jesus, but it doesn't make us better. It doesn't put us on a pedestal where we're trying to get people to come up to where we are. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One of my kids, uh, my second daughter, when she was in college, was part of a class that had to do with uh, reaching people who were hurting and struggling in, in life. And uh, as part of that class, they went on a weekend excursion that was really profound and potentially a bit scary. So I actually had to sign a permission slip for her to do it. And what they did was live homeless for a weekend. The safety piece was it was kind of headquartered at a church that had a large fenced in area in behind the church. So they slept there. So they were protected in that sense, but they didn't sleep in the church. They slept in the yard. If it rained, find a piece of cardboard. If it got cold, hope you have a warm jacket. And during the day, they sent them out of the fence and locked the fence. They were homeless. So they had to scavenge. They had to go to dumpsters. I remember her telling me about how somebody had found a dumpster out near a Panera Bread. And everybody was like, yes. So they had several day old bread and they were just chowing down on Panera bread. They were not fed meals. What was fascinating to me was she explained that in the evenings after they got inside the fence, actual homeless people from the community would come to the fence and ask them if they needed anything, were they doing okay? That's us in evangelism, right? That's us finding other people because we know exactly their circumstances. We know exactly what kind of situation they're in. We know best how to make sure they get food, the bread of life. So we 
offer that to them and we seek to see them reconciled to God. The reason we know that is that all peace begins at the cross of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that in order that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. This is talking about Jews and Gentiles specifically in this section. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love that phrase. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He himself is our peace. So, peace begins at the cross. Peace begins when we come to Jesus, and that's why when we're going to be a peacemaker, we have to understand that reconciliation begins by reconciliation between God and men. But peacemakers can do more than that. They can do more than help people understand what it means to be right with God we also can help to facilitate reconciliation between men and men. Now, I apologize, ladies. You understand I'm using this in a generic way, right? Mankind and mankind. People, if you want to write that in instead. We reconcile people with one another. We can help facilitate that. We should be peacemakers. Our desire ought to be to live at peace with everybody we possibly can. So if it's possible, Paul said to the Romans, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I get it. Some people refuse to live peaceably. But don't you be the cause of a lack of peace between you and somebody else. And you can help bring peace among people. I know I, I really was tempted, and I'm not going to go on at length, but to talk about some of the ways that we generate disunity and a lack of peace. Probably social media is the biggest thing, right? Because we get on there for our, you know, all 40 people that are going to see our post that we go on a rant. We make sure they understand just how right we are and how wrong everybody else is that disagrees with us. We think we've done something really good. Most everybody doesn't really care when I say on Facebook, I've come to conclude. So I don't want to waste my time. But am I helping to make peace by what I'm saying, or am I just stirring the pot? Stirring the pot is the opposite of making peace. God's people are to contend Contend for the faith, we're told in Jude. We're to contend without being contentious. We're to disagree without being disagreeable. The worst part of disagree is we're so convinced that we're right, we don't want to lose. More often than not, we are more interested in winning the argument. Now, we frame it in our minds so it's just right. No, this is just really actually how it is. You're just mistaken. But we're disagreeing generally over opinions. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We can confront someone without being abusive. 
then we can speak the truth and do it in love, according to Ephesians 4.15. Peacemakers help to make peace among other people. Man, I think of, of the book of Philemon, where Paul is taking a runaway slave. Now, please, I'm not going to have a discussion about that as a whole different ball of wax, but somebody ran away, met Paul, came to faith in Jesus. Paul sent him back and said, if he owes you anything, take it out of my account. I want you to accept him back as a brother. There's a new relationship now between the two of you. Paul was being a peacemaker. They will be called sons of God. Why? Because we are acting in the likeness of our Father when we are a peacemaker. We're acting like God when we help to make peace because God was what? In Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's what God does. Jesus came and was prophesied long before he got here that he would be the prince of peace. We should be most known for our desire and ability to help make peace. I know we stand for some things that many people around us don't stand for. That's why I say this is not peacekeepers. This does not mean we cannot speak the truth. In fact, we're not helping anyone. We're not making peace for anyone by letting them live in their delusions. But we can speak in a way that's loving. We can be peaceful about what we're saying. We don't have to be the ones that get agitated and out of control and abusive in the way that we speak. We can be peace. Makers. And when we do, we are demonstrating our likeness to our Father. We will be called sons of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I suspect that of all the things that Jesus said here, this is the one we struggle with the most. None of us likes to face difficulty because we're a Christian. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. But I want to tell you that persecution is fascinating because it is to be expected that we will face it. We live in a culture where we haven't, for the most part, faced any significant persecution. We're going to talk a little about different kinds of persecution, but there are places in the world uh, where you announce that you're a Christian, you could be killed. You announce that you've received Jesus and trusted in him, you could lose your life over it without even blinking an eye. There are places in the world where people suffer deeply 
for following after Christ. We, for the most part, don't face that. And it's a little hard for us to imagine it because in our country, freedom of religion was part of the founding thing. You should be free to worship. And so if we ever face persecution, we're thinking, wait, that's not right. Jesus suggests otherwise. He suggests it should be expected. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter said, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Fascinating, right? We were like, wait, wait, what? Peter's like, nothing strange is happening. Don't be surprised. Trials come. Testings come. Some of them are related to persecution. Paul said to Timothy that, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody's going to face it. So if you haven't been beaten for your faith, if you haven't lost your job, or maybe you have, but if you haven't had some terrible, horrible thing happen as a result of your faith, you haven't seen a loved one die, you haven't been put in prison, then at what point do we get to consider it persecution? Because here's the thing. When he talked to Philippians, he described it as a gift. Paul said, it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We don't talk about this part much, right? Jesus did, and it's when the crowd started walking away, right? All Paul said, it happened to me. You can expect it's going to happen to you. You're engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now you still hear I have it. Paul's like, I'm I'm facing persecution because I'm a follower of Jesus and preaching the gospel. You should expect the same thing. And so there's, there's this unique sense of it has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer. When Jesus started saying, it's going to get really difficult if you don't, what, hate your father and mother and sisters, brothers, and even your old life, you can't be my disciple. People were like, well, I didn't sign up for that. Persecution is a normal part of life. We should not consider it odd when it happens. We should expect that it will be here. So what's it going to look like? It's going to be varied, right? Even, even in the text, Jesus describes different things that are considered to be persecution. Of course, there's physical persecution. That's obvious. That's the thing that we go to most quickly. People who've been beaten, Paul himself, Saul, uh, before his name was changed and he became a follower of Jesus, Saul was headed to Damascus to tie people up and drag them to prison. Happens all the time. People who will stand for their faith and, and seek to walk after God all across the globe, it's happening to people. So we think of that immediately. I have a, a friend, his name is Harold, who was born and raised in Afghanistan, was in training to be a Muslim priest. He was led to Christ by a Christian missionary, and his life went south in Afghanistan completely after that. He has the marks on his body of being beaten. He left Afghanistan, fleeing the persecution, came to America, 
lived outside of D.C. for a while, then lived in this area for a while, and now has moved elsewhere. When I knew him, when I first met him, his own father had a contract out on his life that if he ever showed up in Afghanistan, he'd be killed because he was a follower of Jesus. That's what I think of when I think of persecution. And sometimes it's that. People, every once in a while, somebody say to you, Pastor, do you think that's ever going to happen in America? I don't honestly know. I mean, we'd like to think no, right? We'd like to think we have laws against stuff like that. But I don't know. Verbal, reviling, persecuting, uttering evil against you falsely. Abusive words, insulting, words to mock you. That happens to you, right? At varying levels, people will make fun of your faith. I was... Uh, a couple of weekends ago, was uh, riding with a couple of guys, uh, one of whom is a very good friend of mine, does not know the Lord, but we uh, hang out a lot together. I continue to pray for him, and he brought a friend of his who certainly did not know the Lord. It became apparent more and more as the day wore on, and uh, he decided to announce on the way home in the truck, oh, here's my plan, he said. And I, he knew I was a preacher, so I, you know, when people find out you're a preacher, that kind of becomes the topic. Usually at some point he said, well, here's my plan. I'm just going to mess up so badly here that the devil's not going to want me. Which I thought, okay. And all I said was, well, you know, there is a better way to avoid hell than that. And it just got quiet for a second. He said, yeah, I don't believe in any of that. That's a bunch of malarkey. I think people just want to hear that so they can feel good about themselves. And I thought, well, clearly he's not interested. So I didn't want to argue with him in the truck in front of my buddy who has heard other things from me than that. Was that persecution? Yeah, probably technically. Didn't really bug me too much to say I believe a bunch of malarkey. Whatever. I mean, that's not hurtful too badly, right? But you may face that from people that you know well. You may face that from coworkers. You may face that from family members who just think you're an idiot. How could you believe all of this stuff? That is a form of verbal persecution. So don't get angry and mad at them and say, you shouldn't talk to me like that. Isn't it possible that it's part of what Jesus had in mind? Even false accusations. If, as Matthew 11 records, Jesus himself was accused of being a gluttonous man and a drunkard. Chances are pretty good somebody's going to say some things about you that aren't true, right? Because Jesus was the farthest thing from that, from either of those things. I do love this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and under, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is because of our identification with Jesus. That's why this happened. Baptism. Lord willing, we've got a couple, maybe as many as three, but two, I think, that are going to be baptized at our next family service, the first part of April. Very excited about that. I love that. I love baptism services. 
it tells me we've got new life going on. It's super exciting to me. The reason that we have a class and we help people think through the implications, and I, I'll talk about it at, on that particular Sunday about how significant it is to be baptized, is because in America, for the most part, it isn't considered significant. Yeah, you're baptized, great. Lots of people are. In many countries, if you're baptized, you die. You're kicked out of your family. You're disinherited. You have all sorts of things that happen because you're identifying yourself with Jesus. But it might here affect your work. Some of you have perhaps been passed over for a promotion, and the only thing you can find that seems to be an identifiable factor has to do with the fact you're a Christian and somebody's not happy about that. Maybe that's happened to you, or maybe you'll have lost your job or would at some point in the future. Might affect my freedom, potentially. I could be incarcerated. Listen, the country just to the north of us, there have been some preachers incarcerated recently because they refused to stop preaching publicly the Word of God. Lots of places where that happens. Might affect my health if I face actual persecution. It might affect my wealth if my assets get frozen because people don't like the fact that I refuse not to talk about Jesus. So here's, here's the thing about that. This is the stuff that when it happens in our daily lives, it's going to become significant. People say, what would you do if, if people burst into your service and said, you got to stop preaching? Or we're going to kill you. I got to be honest. I hope I'd keep preaching because if I said, okay, and I just went and sat down, what should happen is I should die of embarrassment because I just embarrassed myself in front of the whole congregation. I'm talking about what happens in our daily lives. Are we willing to acknowledge the day may come when I will pay some sort of penalty for the fact that I follow after Jesus? According to Jesus, it should be expected. It's going to be varied. And in fact, it should be embraced. When Luke records this occasion of Jesus speaking and talking about the Beatitudes, he puts it this way. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you. Have you had that happen? And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Because what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so the fathers did to the prophets. That's a word, that's a term that's used of like young horses. When they, when they get their legs under them and know what they can do, and you, you see pictures of them just bounding around in the corral, right? That's leaping for joy. It should be embraced when we face these things. It should be embraced when we face these things on account of Jesus. Can I just for a minute remind you, persecution because I'm obnoxious is not something I should be happy about. Sometimes we are, right? Sometimes I haven't just spoken the truth. Sometimes I've spoken the truth in a harsh and unkind fashion. 
sometimes I have spoken about, oh boy, here we go. Sometimes I've spoken about political things as though they're spiritual things. Sometimes I have treated my political leanings as though any person who really loves Jesus would think like me. If I am just a jerk, I should not be happy when I get persecuted. I shouldn't look at it as a badge of honor. I should look at it as this is what happens when you act that way, right? But if I'm persecuted on account of my faith, on account of my connection with Jesus, on account of the fact that I'm willing to stand and, and be truthful about what he has said, then I should rejoice because my reward is great in heaven. Uh, that's just an interesting comment. James talks about the crown of life, right? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. But I want to remind you of what heaven's like. This is just a little quick snippet out of Revelation chapter 21, a few verses, that try to paint a picture for us because it's going to be really hard for us to put into words. So in trying to accommodate our language, here's how it was described. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, I think is how you pronounce that, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth whatever. There's 12 of them there, right? Now, I don't know if there are actually going to be 12 different precious gems in the foundation right? We, we don't, we mix cement and gravel, right? The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I think that's accommodating us because it's going to be so magnificent. We just can't come up with a picture of it. That's what heaven's going to be like. So when you face a season of persecution, don't let it get you down like, man, God's upset with me. This is so hard. This is so harsh. Listen, if your persecution is ongoing for a season of life, don't worry. Your reward in heaven is very great. It will be worth it all, the old hymn said, right, when we see Jesus. And you're in good company. Treated the prophets this way. People in the Old Testament got this stuff, and they got it from people who were religious people. Jeremiah was in prison. Lots of prophets got, got put away or killed because people don't like the light being shined on them. You're in good company. Now, take that as a misery loves company if you want to, but if you face this, if and in fact, when we face this, if Jesus, since Jesus is always right, when he says it's to be expected, blessed are you when this happens, when it comes, in whatever form it comes, and however bad it may get in our future, we're in good company. The prophets, the apostles, 
the martyrs for the faith. You know what's fascinating to me? I mentioned my friend, friend Harold earlier. I have heard him say when he gets word from back in Afghanistan or somewhere in Persia where he still has a ministry now on television and through radio leading hundreds and hundreds of Muslims to Christ. But when he hears word about somebody that has come to Christ and they've been martyred for that faith, for their faith, I've heard him say, it makes me just a little jealous that I'm living here and I'm comfortable and I'm free to preach the gospel and they got to give their life up for Jesus. Fascinating perspective. So let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. Be a peacemaker. It's really important. God has given us the privilege of helping other people be reconciled to him, and we can help bring peace among others. Be ready. I, I am convinced if you've not already faced some form of persecution, you will, and we will. Our culture continues to degrade. Our culture continues to exalt things that are sinful. Was watching, uh, my wife was watching a show, and I'd watch an occasional episode. It's it's been on, and so she's been watching some of it. And it came to an episode, uh, and there have been a variety of things in the show that uh, were were sin, and it was you know kind of a just a part of the show, and they weren't making a thing out of it. But they came to us to a show that was clearly aired right about the time that uh, Roe v. Wade was reversed. And the whole show was about the moral superiority of those who want to provide abortions. So they were trying to figure out ways because now in their state, it was going to be illegal to perform abortions. And at one point, the main, it was a, a medical show, the main doctor in the show, somebody said, what you're asking me to do is now illegal. I cannot perform abortions. And he looked at them and said, I know it's illegal, but it's moral. And my mind went to the scriptures that said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. So it's coming. We're, we are in a culture war where increasing numbers of people absolutely believe that things that the Bible calls sin are good things. That is bound to intersect with Christianity at some point. It's bound to intersect with you at some point. And they will say, what do you think? And you can either veil it in generalities or you can truthfully, lovingly tell them what you believe and it may cost you. But lastly, be faithful. That's what God asks of us, right? He's not asking us to be superstars. He's not asking us all to step into a, a pulpit and be listened to on a video or whatever the opportunities are that we have. He's asking us to be faithful as we walk with him. We will likely face persecution of some form for it. But in the process, God will use us to help some of those very people be reconciled to God. I remember the story of Corey Ten Boom who faced persecution under the Nazis. If you've read her story, it's fascinating. 
Her sister died in that kind of persecution, and she endured all sorts of horrible things. She at one time later in her life, after she had been freed, after she had begun to speak to various uh, congregations and audiences, someone came to her, a German person who had come to faith in Christ, came to her, and she immediately recognized him as one of the men that had abused her. She describes the process of knowing this is now a brother in Christ who in my history has abused me terribly for my faith. How do I deal with forgiveness? And he was in line. So she was shaking hands with people and engaging in conversation and she couldn't avoid it. And she said, I couldn't do it. She said, but I stuck my hand out and I took his hand in mine. And she said, in that instant, God brought about forgiveness in my heart. That's being a peacemaker. It's not easy work, but it's so important. We live in a world that is desperate for peace. Let's show them the way to that, right? Listen, I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come up here, and when they're done leading us in this last song, we're going to close the service a little differently. I'll come back up here in just a minute and explain that. So so let's pray, but before we do, I want to remind you, there are going to be folks here waiting for you under the of the TVs up front. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, maybe you're facing some of this stuff and you're like, man, I just need a little prayer support. So I'll stand strong, stand firm, uh, whatever it is, whatever your need, you come. Uh, and listen, I want to, I want to, before I do, this is really, uh, out of the mood right now, but if you're here and you've never attended, we are coastal. We're having it after church. We have the food already here. I have enough to have a few more people come. So if you've been thinking about it and you're like, you know what? I think you do want to do it. Stay for lunch. Come join us. All right. Father in heaven, these aren't always easy. Sometimes these beatitudes, we like to know who's going to be blessed and how can we get your blessing on our lives. But some of it, Lord, is stuff we don't want to have to face. But it's, it's not that we want to go invite persecution. We won't need to. Lord, you, you have made it as part of life that we will face persecution. So God, give us grace. Give us courage to stand in the face of persecution. Help us even in the process of that to be people who help bring peace, who help people understand their need of Jesus so that they can be at peace. If we're to love our enemies, Lord, perhaps it's some of those who may treat us badly, revile us, say evil things about us, mock us, or perhaps even physically hurt us. Lord, we want to honor you in all of that. So thank you. Thank you for your blessing that rests on those who will walk faithfully with you. Bless us as we move toward closing this service, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.